Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Towncast Studios in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. People, if you have a podcast or a videocast, you got to check out towncaststudios.com. Joseph and Matt, not only are they good guys, they know what they're doing. So check them out, towncaststudios.com, or email them at info at towncaststudios.com. Anyway, we have a great guest today. We have a, well, she's an Emmy winner. How cool is that? And she's a former news person who now she's helping people be creative. And I'm going to tell you something in the, in the day and age of videos, and I see videos all over LinkedIn. And I, I want to be honest, some of your people, some of your stuff sucks. I'm, I'm not lying. You need someone like her because I see things. I, I, I look, I scroll through. And now if it's, if it's a little grainy, that's okay. If it's a little, the, the volume isn't just perfect, that's okay. But there's some of you are just trying to be too damn cutesy, or some of you are just talking so monotone, or people, some of you guys, you're like, hey, check this out. And I'm like, dude, you're trying to sell your business. You're not like Tony Little in the 80s doing aerobics, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> my guest is, she's an expert, as I said, formal news person, Emmy winner, it's Carrie Barrett. How you doing, Carrie? I'm all right. How are you, Steve? I'm doing well. I, you know, I yeah. said I said that about you. Well, first of all, because your name is Carrie and my name is Steve, yeah. but people call me Scott. Have you ever gone into an interview and someone called you Kelly? And then what what oh. do you do if that happens? I usually just say, "Don't worry." They usually they first of all, let me start at the beginning. That happens all the time, all the time. <laughs> Kelly is most common. Sometimes it's Katie. Um, occasionally it's something else completely random or, or it's a four letter word. <laughs> but if somebody calls me Kelly, they usually recognize it and they correct themselves. And then I follow up with a go to line, which is don't worry. I've definitely been called worse. Okay. Now, <laughs> I want to ask you, I want to ask you, tell tell the listeners some of the services you offer, because I want to get in how you got there. But let's get let's get up front exactly the services you offer. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about how I help people. I appreciate it. I'll try and keep it short. I have three sort of different audiences. They all overlap in terms of how I help them with video, but in a corporate setting for executives, for leaders, for sales teams, I teach them how to communicate in a virtual world, digital body language, how to tell stories on camera, how to come across compellingly, interestingly, and relatably so that they can communicate with clients, they can do sales pitches, they can talk with their teams effectively. There's different things you need to be able to do to deliver on camera versus in person. Then for medium-sized businesses, I do content creation. Usually this is for the medium-sized businesses. And I do that by hosting podcasts for my clients video podcasts. We can do full production. We can also optimize their YouTube channels, create social media clips. I have clients in that space who know the value of a podcast or a live stream, but they either don't want to be on camera or they don't have the bandwidth. And so they hire me to do their interviews and host their podcasts. And then for smaller businesses, which usually fall into a coach or consultant type um, organization or perhaps a service provider, I teach them how to create video, DIY video, that is compelling, that they are able to create efficiently and use effectively. A lot of people 
start and stop with their video content on social. But if that's where your video content stops and starts, you are missing out on 95% of the opportunity that video can provide for you. So for example, do you know how to tell stories and use those stories to create videos for video sales letters or landing pages or vlogs or live streams or masterclasses or video digital ads, all of that stuff is a part, should be anyway, of your video marketing strategy. Most people are unfamiliar with how to do it, how to do it well, and how to do it efficiently. Okay, well, here's something I want to ask you. And I was on the website okay. and people, it's it's uh, Kerry Barrett. That's two T's uh, com. And it <laughs> said that in, when you were young, you were had this fear of, of speaking in public I, you know, so so what was your transformation? I mean, for me, I did stand up comedy. I did it because, well, yeah. I was insecure. I think most performers are insecure, and we, and we want we want approval. But I didn't validation. Have the, yeah, but no, but what? Why? Why did you have a fear? I mean, was it just something that when you were a kid you just couldn't get up and talk? I mean, where did you find what? What was when you found out you had this fear, and then how did you start to overcome it? Well, I found out I had that fear any time a teacher called on me to say something in class. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I hate, I just, I've always hated it. I feared the judgment. I feared looking stupid. I didn't want people to see me. I mean, I was the sort of person who up until probably, probably when I first started in the news industry and it didn't go away entirely at that point either, who was afraid to sneeze in a classroom just because I wanted to be invisible. It's just, listen, there's probably years of therapy that I could stand to go through to unpack all of that. But but let's just say at the heart of it, it was extremely low self-esteem. Um, it was, you know, a lack of self-worth. It was a fear of judgment and rejection. And these are things that everybody feels to some degree, I think, when especially when they're putting themselves out there. So I knew early on that I had this I mean, it was debilitating, back of the room, you know, puddle of my own vomit, sort of like hyperventilating situation. And, and I would come up with all sorts of excuses about why I couldn't do this book report in front of the class, laryngitis, like anything that I could think of to not have to do it. And, um, and I actually, I actually started college as a pre-veterinarian, uh, pre-veterinary medicine major. And precisely because I love animals and I wasn't going to have to talk to people quite as much. And that didn't work for me. <laughs> uh, organic chem was a tougher opponent than public speaking. And I, I took a couple of years off, figured out that I wanted to graduate and I did not want to take organic chem in order to do so. So I enrolled in a communications course and I almost as a challenge, a communications major rather, because I knew I was going to have to take a couple of public speaking classes. And so it was, it was almost a challenge to myself. Like you're coming back, you're re-enrolling. Now let's, let's up-level your game and how can you challenge yourself? Um, in a way that you have a possibility of succeeding. It, it might be a long stretch, but it, you could do it. And so that's sort of how it all it all started. That was sort of the seminal moment. But yes, I used to be terrified and terrible, I should add. It's just funny that, you know, you go into the news because I always think, you know, newscasters and people on the news, everyone, if you watch that station, everybody knows you. Like in Philadelphia, we have, yeah. we have three, six, and 10. So yeah. when you're doing that, people 
are going to recognize you, which is also if you have a fear of speaking, you probably had a certain fear of getting recognized because we all mm-hmm. recognize our newscaster and, and people always yeah. yell at the weatherman because like, yeah, hey, you screwed my wedding up and all that, you know. But <laughs> yeah. so so you sit there and you, you're getting over this fear. So you're getting over this fear you've had for your yeah. whole life. And then you go, okay, I'm going to go into the news. I mean, what was what was the thinking behind that? Was there a defining moment where you said, I'm doing this? Or you just said, you know what? I have my degree. I'm going to follow my degree. I can't be a vet because I hate organic chem. What was what was the bridge to you getting your first news job? It was a little bit, a little bit more convoluted than that. So I actually did not have the idea of becoming, I mean, I've listen, I've traveled all over the world. I lived all over the world as a kid. I've certainly lived all over the country and reported from different corners of the world in my, in my news career, but I've always enjoyed learning about people. I didn't so much want to tell them about myself, but I always did enjoy learning about people and, you know, understanding their life and where they live and their culture and habits and all of that stuff. And so the storytelling and the curiosity, that had always been something that was, you know, internal and inside me, probably inspired from a lot of my travel as a kid. And when I re-enrolled in that communications program, my thought wasn't that I was going to be a TV journalist or a journalist at all for that matter. What happened though was because I had taken those two years off, I was looking to make up for lost time. Like all my friends had graduated and here I was still, you know, like a junior. And I, so I stuffed my schedule full of credits, you know, full time was 12 credits. I was taking 24 and I wanted to figure out how I could jam in another three credits. But my, this this is, (laughs) it sounds so silly when I say it. My days, Monday through Friday were busy from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. Like I classes straight through. And so my thought was, how am I going to fit another three credits in when my academic days are already slammed? Well, I could get an internship. I have to get an internship at some place that operates around the clock. What operates around the clock? A news organization operates around the clock. They work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I could do an internship there late at night, early in the morning, or even on the weekends. And so that's what I did. I got an internship at a TV station, WYFF. It's the NBC affiliate in Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I, uh, I, I, I used that as a way to get the three other credits. What I didn't realize was that I was actually going to enjoy it quite a bit. And I went out on a story first day with a reporter and just the energy and the, you know, the story that she was telling and the importance that it had to the community. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty freaking cool, man. All right. I got to figure out a way to parlay this into something that I can use to make a living. And that's really where it all started. I wasn't good at that point at all. (laughs) It took me a long while to get to the point where I had any sort of presence or persona on camera, but that's, that's where it actually started. Okay. What was it like your first day on screen? I talked to a lot of actors who have gone from theater and then all of a sudden they're on a TV show. It's completely Mm -hmm. different. You can be in a classroom. You can be doing this. You can intern and watch someone. But when your first story, when you sat there and I guess there's a light that says, you know, you're on. Did you yeah. did you sit there and freeze or were you ready to punch them down? No, I was ready to go. I practiced a lot. So my first my first 
actual stint like on the desk and not as a reporter was just doing a cut in during the Today Show. I worked at a small NBC affiliate in Wichita Falls, Texas, KFDX, and I did those two minute cut ins with the local news segments that aired, you know, live during the Today Show. And so I only had two minutes to fill and and I, I messed up in the beginning, but I knew I needed rather than speed up and try and get through it. I, I was going to have to be there for two minutes regardless. So I took a breath, I slowed down and I delivered the rest of the script. So that was relatively uneventful. My true first time live on air was uh, as a reporter out in the field. You know, they told me I was going to have a week to sort of learn the station and learn the area and get an idea of stories. Nope. They put me on air the first day that I showed up. And <laughs> I had to cover a blood drive. Um, it was November, right? We all know that that blood supplies are usually low in the winter months. And so I was covering this live mobile van who was doing a blood drive. And I was out in the parking lot. And it's, interestingly enough, one of the live shots that I did with the reporter at my internship was also about a blood drive. So I'm like, oh, good, I got this. I know exactly how it's going to go. Except at her blood drive, there were tons of people there. Like there was a line, 50 people deep. The parking lot was full. People were coming in. And so she started her live shot with, well, you know, so-and-so, you can see behind me that the parking lot is full. There's a line, 50 people deep, blah, 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 blah. I got so nervous on my live shot that I failed to recognize that my scenario was quite different. There was nobody in the parking lot. There was nobody at the van. There was one lone, like, rusted out Dotson in the parking lot. And so they, they, the anchors tossed at me in the, in the studio, and they're like, Carrie, how's it going? And I'm like, well, as you can see, the parking lot behind me is filling up, and there's a line 50 people deep. And I was like, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, this is wrong, Harry. There's nobody here. <laughs> but I got so scared I couldn't think of my own words to use, which is so silly now that I think about it. But nobody said anything to me. I'm sure everybody deals with nerves, you know, the first, second, and I don't know, 200th time that they go on air. But um, <laughs> I'll never forget that. So how do you go from... A blood drive with nobody there to you end up in New York, which is, you know, it's New York. I mean, I remember when I lived in North Jersey, I used to always watch yeah. the caucus. It was where Matt Lauer started. And they used to have, they used a weather guy named Lloyd Lindsay Young, I think his name was. You know, he'd uh -huh. go, hello, Sea Caucus. And I always remembered that. <laughs> but I was like, how yeah. is this guy in an affiliate in New York? How do you end up in New York? Because that's, that's like if you're an actor ending up on Broadway. I mean, was it a long, arduous process or was there a lot of moves or how did you get to that position? Yeah, New York is the is the biggest market in the country. And so um, the, the funny thing is, is I actually never had a desire to get to New York. I mean, I'm from this area. Uh, you know, I went to high school in northern New Jersey. Um, but I really never had a specific desire to get to New York or to get to network. My goal was always a top 15 market. And that, for people who are listening and aren't familiar with what that is, that could be you know, Minneapolis, it could be Denver, it could be San Francisco. It's those, those top 15, you know, Philadelphia, D.C., whatever, you get it, larger cities. But New York was never a specific goal. Um, and, and, to, and to be honest, 
I didn't get to make a lot of choices in my movement from one station to the next. And the reason was I met my husband, now husband, in Wichita Falls, Texas. He was finishing up his training in the Air Force. And he's a pilot, uh, flew F-16s, still a pilot, but not in the Air Force anymore. And he, you know, I didn't, we didn't have a choice. Like his assignment was going to be what his assignment was. And so I had to take a major leap of faith and hope that, you know, if we got married, wherever he was assigned, I would find a job and make it work. And it did actually work out in our favor. We went from Wichita Falls to Phoenix we went from Phoenix to Salt Lake City, we went from Salt Lake City to Philadelphia, and uh, where I worked at the Fox station. And then from Philadelphia, uh, I moved my way up to New York. All told, probably took about, I don't know, 15 or so years between his, you know, we went here, we had to stay here for three years. Then we had moved to the next place. We had to stay there for three years. So I didn't make as many moves as a lot of people do in this business, but it did work out for us. And I, and I, you know, just as I was actually thinking about leaving the business when I was working in Philly, I got a, I got a call from New York. And so, you know, we hemmed in hot actually about taking the job for a long time. And I took it and I'm glad that I did. Learned a lot, met a lot of great people, and um, and then it was it was time for my news career to to be over. It's, it's a it's a business in contraction right now, an industry in contraction. It is a um, it's a viewership is fractured. I was getting up at one thirty in the morning. I was a disaster outside of work. You know, no social life. I was a zombie around my kids. It was it was time for something new, but but I'll never regret the ride that I had. Well, when you were moving from city to city, how much was like networking involved in that? Did you, is there a news network? Like, you know, cause you're going, you're going from different markets and all of a sudden if someone, I can see if someone comes from New York or Philly and they go to Wichita Falls, people are going to go, oh great. They're from New York yeah. or Philly. Of course we yeah. want them. They got, they got the chops. But when you're yeah. going from a small market, it, do you really have to grovel to get these jobs? I mean, what's the process? Is it is it like a, a basic job interview where you're you're giving a your resume and a tape, or how does that work to get a job in the news world? Yeah, so it's changed a little bit now because so much is done um, digitally, and the way the news business works is they they are certainly looking to cut salaries. You're seeing younger and more green people in larger markets, I think, than you perhaps ever did before. And that it, they're I'm quite talented, many of them, but they just, they haven't paid the dues, I guess, is the way that an old timer like me would say it. <laughs> now, I'm not resentful, but it's a different process now that, than it was when I started, is all I'm, all I'm getting at. Um, and so, this is how basically you would do it. There's not an, there's not an established network, if you will, meaning like this is where people go to learn about jobs. There are several when you're first starting out, online platforms, TV jobs, Media Line is one of them, TV Spy is another. I'm not sure if that's still around anymore, where you could go and you could find, you know, jobs that were available. And when I was first starting my job hunt back when I was still in grad school, I just I went through those lists and yes, I had a I had a demo tape that I had made at my internship, VHS, and I would 
I would, I must have sent out 500 tapes along with cover letters and resumes. I would send them out to the news director. I would follow up with an email. I'd call. Sometimes the only way that I could actually get my voice on their voicemail is if I called in the middle of the night. Otherwise, nobody would put me through. So I'd I'd wake up and I'd call in the middle of the night just so they could hear my voice on their machine and make a connection that way. And then as you begin to, you know, I went from Wichita Falls to Phoenix and um, Phoenix was, I had no connections in Phoenix. So the way that I did that was I just started calling and emailing the news directors. I mean, there's only a handful of stations. There's four, you know, there's not a lot of outreach that you have to do in terms of finding where to look. But I, I would call. At that point, I had a link to my demo reel rather than a tape. So I'd email, I'd send them my link, I'd you know send a resume and I would just follow up that way. And I, I did get in with, um, I think every single news director there, you know, I, I'm in town, can I, can I buy a coffee and let's talk? And that's how I ended up getting a position in Phoenix. I don't recommend that. <laughs> you don't have a lot of leverage when you're already there, but that's how I had to make it work because, you know, of the situation I was in, in terms of my husband's assignment. By the time I moved from Phoenix to Salt Lake City, I had an agent. And so my agent would do the research for me the agent is sort of in the news industry, your networker. And so they have connections with news directors. News directors are more likely to take their calls. And that's sort of how everything progressed from there. So when you left the business, what was it mm-hmm. like? I mean, did you miss it? Like when I when I left my career as a stand-up comedian, I didn't miss it. And now even I'll perform every once in a while and I'll have a good set. I'll be like, oh, I'm going to do this again. After I get home and have a glass of wine, I'm like, this is good. And then I wake up the next <laughs> morning and I go, ah. I'm not going to drive, you know, 55 miles for a show. I'll just do it when, if I can perform six months down the road. But for you, it was such a big part of your life. What was it like when you first walked away? I mean, I'm sure you, you had more time. You had, you had probably a sense of freedom. And I also felt totally lost. (laughs) I had the freedom to wander around lost for a long time, which is what I did. Uh, No, I was, I had like a, a couple of almost, I guess I would describe as, panic attacks in the middle of the night, you know, uh, not so much about like leaving the news business, but what was coming next. And I think fear that, you know, I had, this was a mistake. Um, it was a while ago. I'm trying to think the first week was, was tough. Um, I, I drove myself to, a couple of the local watering holes here in town and I had to have my husband come back and pick me up. (laughs) Um, And yes, I was, I had freedom, but I also had no direction. I, you know, I I think I was still in a bit of, and, and sometimes today I still feel like I'm in a bit of recovery from that grueling schedule that I had for 20 years. You know, it is, it is a tough, tough schedule, long hours, you know, waking up at one in the morning, um, whatever. I don't need to, you know, the deal. And so uh, when I left, I had built, there was no runway. Like I had zero clue what I was going to do. I'd been contemplating getting out of the business for a while, but I haven't hadn't built anything around it. I hadn't started a side hustle. I hadn't started networking or anything like that. And so 
I just started reaching out to people that I knew, you know, um, former news people and who had gotten out of the business. What did you do? How did you get it? What did you like? What did you not like? Um, you know, lawyers that I knew, a couple of my old agents that I no longer worked with, like what are their people doing? And so it was a, just a process of, you know, putting one foot in front of the next, which sounds so cliche and generic, but truly like I had zero idea. So I started going to a networking group here by me. Um, I'm in North Jersey. And one of the people suggested a, a business coach. I got the business coach and I was still networking. And I met a woman. I, I honestly thought I was going to go into PR if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, you know, thinking about what I assumed my next step would be, even though I hadn't built anything going in that direction, I assumed it would be PR because that's what a lot of former news people do, right? It's the same sort of thing. It's just the flip side of the coin. And I was, I was networking with a woman. I had a one-on-one with a woman who did PR and comms for one of the big uh, global law firms in New York City. And she's like, you're crazy to be thinking about going back into corporate or an agency, you have a skill set that you've curated over these 20 years that people need to know, and they will pay you to learn it from you. And I was like, hmm, well, okay, that sounds good. So I went home and I told my husband I was going to start my own business. And truly, that is as much thought as went into it. And then I started doing these other things and putting these pieces together. And when I first started, I still really didn't know what my offer was, Steve. I was like, you know, like, a little bit of public speaking, like maybe secure you some, um, you know, media placements, sort of PR, do some video production. I was scattered and I was trying to figure out what I liked, what I didn't like, what I could, you know, who, who, what sort of clientele are going to pay me the most with the least resistance. That sort of stuff has just been a learning process for me. And I'm still learning it and it's still refining. And, you know, shortly after I started the pandemic hit. So then it was, you know, another whole um, upheaval and roller coaster ride, but it's, it's starting to come together. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny what I like, what I like about you, what you do is when you teach people on air or in front of the camera, you know it. When, when I'm from the entertainment background. We call people mm -hmm. who aren't in the business civilians. It's just we've mm -hmm. always done that. Yep. And it always would freak us out. Not freak us out, but we'd be like, when someone who wasn't, who was a civilian, was teaching something like that, we'd be like, well, wait a second. You know, you've never been in a shithole yeah. in West Virginia in front of 25 drunks telling you to go screw yourself and then you had walk up the stage, <laughs> which did happen to me. It sounds, and, like my, it sounds like a news audience. Yeah, no, but it's true. It happened to me at a place called uh, Bumpers in Wheeling, West Virginia. And I walked yeah. off and I called the booker. I said, you're paying me. But I walked off after I didn't do my 45. But we always yeah. appreciate. That's what I appreciate about, appreciate about you is because you've been there. You've done it. So when you get your clients, I mean, what is it for you if you have competition with someone who hasn't done it. You know, you never want to, you know, be talk shit about your competition. I never wanted to. I even no, any position. Yeah. But is it have you found that that's much more of a selling point that even that you can say Emmy winner, which, you know, people I mean, that's big. That's it's an Emmy. I mean, how important has that happened? I mean, has it helped you that your past career has helped you get clients because people are like, well, this is legit. It's not like, you know, some bozo who took a journalism class saying, oh, I can do this. How important has that been for you building your network and your your business? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. It's It has been 
um, it's been quite important. And I appreciate you mentioning the Emmy. I, I used to be that I never talked about it. And if you were watching this on video, you would have seen it like perhaps if you looked really closely, way far away in the back of my room. <laughs> and then this marketing uh, group that I worked with was like, hey, listen, dumbass, you should put that front and center. <laughs> so and so I did. And I I try, you know, I'll, I'll I, it's obviously in my marketing copy and in my assets. I don't talk a lot about that specifically when I'm talking about how I help clients. I do use it as a credibility marker. But I, what I have found is that Yes, I need to research my competition, but rather than following what they're doing, I know I know how to do what I do, and I know my ex- I have the experience to back it, and and my clients will tell you the same thing. And so I rely on that more than I rely on the Emmy. The Emmy may be a great sort of door opener, if you will, but it's got to go. It's got to go deeper than that. And I think one of the things that speaks to my ability, perhaps even more so than the Emmy or when you go past the Emmy or the telly or whatever, is that I didn't know anything about starting or growing a business at all when I first started. I mean, I would go to a networking group and somebody would ask me how I was going to scale. And I would literally like pull out my phone and be like, hold on, Google, what does scale mean? You know, Um and so, or, or how do you track your PL? You know, and I'm like, hold on again, Google, what is PL? And I probably probably wrote the letter N rather than and. And and so the only thing that I knew how to do was be on camera, whether it was live or whether it was a recorded video. And so I started up a LinkedIn account. I didn't even have a LinkedIn account when I started my business. And I just started putting video out. Like I didn't even have a strategy for what it was that I was talking about. I had no idea who my clients were. I didn't know where they were. I I honestly didn't even exactly know at that point how I could serve them, but I knew I could do this. And so I did it every day. And 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 I have I have I use video not just in social. You know, we talked a little bit about this um, at the top of the show. I use it in all of my marketing assets and all of my client facing assets. So video sales letters. You know, my landing pages have a have a really high conversion rate. You know, usually in the range of sixty to seventy percent, and it's because I. I I don't think they're particularly spectacular in design, but I put a short video that has story and talks to pain points. And I use videos in my emails and I do video podcasts and I have a vlog that offers people tips. The great thing about you know, on- onboarding is another place that you can use video and client testimonials and live streams for selling and building trust and, and generating, you know, connection with your audience. There's so many other ways to use it. And I, I use almost all of them. And that's why my emails have a pretty good open rate as well, because there's always going to be an interesting video with a helpful tip. Um, I very rarely sell directly with video. It's more about providing insight that then shapes and frames the way a potential client will think about working with me versus somebody else. Now, I got to ask you, as you've built your business, how important has networking been? And this is a, this is a 
two or three parter. I don't know. I always ask a bunch yeah. of questions in one question. What do you enjoy about networking and what do you not like about networking? Because a lot of people, when they go networking, they, they, they get this guys that they say, oh, well, this part of it sucked. So they don't come back again because we're always going to run into, yeah. you know, a click or whatever that anything. But what how important has networking been and what do you enjoy and, and what do you dislike about it? Well, the truth of it is that I'm actually still quite shy. Um, I'm I am an introvert. I have the skills to be able to stand up and talk to a room full of people because I know how to do it now and I have confidence in my abilities. Um, but I I don't love it. That's for sure. And uh, I don't want to say I don't love it. I I enjoy being up there. I like the buzz I get. I I I know that I do a darn good job when I do it. It's I just. I'm still an introvert, right? That it's always going to be part of who I am. And so that going up and introducing myself to total strangers is still difficult for me. I hate that part of it. <laughs> Networking, though, has been a huge part of my business. What I have found, though, to be more successful than those in-person events, which it's great to meet people in person. You should always aim to do at least a few of them, you know, per month or per year, whatever your budget and, and bandwidth allows. But I have found far more success in video networking and virtual networking groups because they, because I know how to deliver to the camera. I, it's easy, much easier for me, I think, than a lot of people to make a connection in a virtual setting. I do feel like I know someone. I know how to read body language and I know how to create body language so that it's easier for the person on the other side to pick up on what I'm saying or to stay engaged in the conversation. And the, the efficiencies of doing video and virtual networking, I mean, can't be denied, especially with gas prices the way they are and everything right now. I have the ability to, you know, I network with people who are overseas and, you know, in Australia and all over the place. So my connections and I can be very specific about the groups that I target. I know exactly here's here's their website. Here's who's going to be there. Here's their great audience for me or I know I can help them or they can help whatever um, that has been a a prime driver of business for me, especially in the past two, two and a half years. So what do you like about, what do you dislike about networking when you go to events? Is it just the interaction yeah, sometimes? I, I hate going up and introducing myself to people. In fact, the truth, the truth is I don't often go to in-person networking events unless they've invited, the organization has invited me to keynote or something like that. If, if they've invited me to keynote or they want me to give a talk or a presentation, I will absolutely, you know, as long as I can, I'll do that, especially if it's a great audience or obviously if they're paying me. Um, but I, I very rarely do in-person stuff anymore. It, it's now yeah, I, I, I think video is a great place for introverts. As long as you know how to use it, you can avoid all that awkward stuff. Now, <laughs> talking about video, a lot of people, and I opened the show talking about LinkedIn video. And and, and people, if, if, if it's someone, if I'm not being mean, it was joking, you know, your videos, well, some of them do suck. But so most of you, most of you Let's don't. Let's be honest. But no, but uh, <laughs> so, so what is your... What is your professional insight to someone who's going to do a video? Because, I mean, I'm sure you see it and you get – and the funny thing is you get people who know they have to get better. 
I mean, and because mm-hmm. you wouldn't come to you and seek you out because you sit there and go, wow, I don't look like for me. I'm okay in videos. I have a lazy eye. I can't beat that. I it's some, I can't, Jordan, you get used to it. But yep. for you, I mean, some people don't want to hear your video is not good. And because it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's their possession. But what is your takeaway? And something like, what are some of the bad, like some of the videos you see, like we joke around and say they suck, but what makes them suck? Is it just, just, I mean, what would you say? Give me a few examples of why these videos uh, suck. Hands down. Number one reason videos suck. They're boring. Uh, a lot of business videos are so dry. I mean, Product videos are, you know, are usually, they're very rarely for the consumer. They're most often for the ego of the producer or the creator. Uh, product videos are are not, LinkedIn doesn't respond to them well. LinkedIn is a place to create videos that open conversations and connection. It's not, it's social selling. It's not direct selling, right? So you're selling by by being social and it's sort of an indirect way for the most part. I mean, you know, 5% of the time, maybe you have a, a post or something, or maybe it's 10% where you're actually doing a direct sell or direct pitch, but usually that's not it. Uh, and that's where a lot of people go wrong. And so boring is, is, you know, right up there with that, meaning people deliver in a way that is so bland and dry. There's nothing that is original. There's nothing that is creative. There is nothing that's interesting. There's sort of like three, right? My clients are doing face to camera video, meaning talking head. I don't work with a lot of people who are selling products. I work with coaches, consultants, service providers, business owners, People whose clients are buying them, not like, you know, a new body cream or shampoo or something like that. And so they're the one who's walking their clients through the process or their name is up on the side of the building. They have to be the one who's on camera doing the thing. And so if they're if they are not memorable, if they are not relatable, if they are not interesting and if they are not personable. Those sort of four things, which are intangible, I understand that. Those are the things that make video, talking head video anyway, compelling and interesting. There's just too much other good stuff out there that unless someone is already knows who you are and is very invested in what you do or what you sell, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody who's talking like this and then uh, and then you should come here and buy this and, or looks awkward or scared the audience feels awkward or scared they're not going to stick around to the end they're not going to listen to what you say because they can find it in a much easier to digest format elsewhere um, long videos are also the bane of LinkedIn's existence. They will let you put a video of up to 10 minutes. I'm not I'm not putting live streams into this bucket because lives are a different animal. But if you're doing a recorded video, you need to be looking at about 30 to 60, maybe 90 seconds if there's something that's particularly interesting or funny. I always suggest as well that if you are looking to create video content specifically for social. I'm not talking about video sales letters or anything like that, but the social video, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, that's sort of where the door to the party that is your business opens. That's where people first, intro, you know, 
where you introduce yourself to potential new clients. Then as they walk into the party, here's the bar, here's the music, here's the food. Those are all the other stages of your funnel. And that's, you use different types of video to nurture them there. But if you're talking about social specifically, look to entertainers and the way that they create video rather than your standard business video. Look at what's happening on TikTok. Look at what's happening on Instagram Reels to a degree, the things that are funny and interesting and engaging, and look to replicate those types of videos on LinkedIn, not your boring, bland, dry, like, please don't recall or, you know, record a sales call and post that and think it's going to get a lot of engagement. If you have a particular nugget that was super interesting and valuable and maybe even a little bit humorous, sure, you can put that up. But I see a lot of people who repurpose sales calls for <laughs> video content and that that's not effective. One final question. Uh, yeah. It's been great talking to you. What, where do you want to see, where do you want your company to go to in the next year? I mean, is this something that, you know, I'm sure you want to, of course, that's a, sometimes that's a stupid question because if a company's like, well, I want to be rich, but where do you see what, <laughs> I mean, of course, like I want, I want so many clients that I have to get a client to coach clients and all that bull crap. Yeah. What, what do you, your personal, not about money or anything about that, but where do you want to see your business grow or just what do you want to get from it in the next year? I would really like to grow the, the digital portion of things, right? The, the part where I teach coaches, consultants, service providers, maybe even authors, if they're going through a book launch, how to do their how to create compelling and effective DIY video. One of the one of the areas that I have that is of particular interest in that is live streaming and being on camera. It's super effective right now. Live streaming is having a moment, but people are terrified of it. So I'd like to sort of begin to, I'd like to take the digital program. I definitely like to expand on it. I'm working on creating um, workshops for groups of people, you know, a day long workshop or a half day, or I'm still structuring it where they can get a whole bunch of value. But, you know, let's say they're not ready for a full, you know, uh, coaching and course program or VIP days for people who I need to just get this element down and I need to do a, an intensive with you for a day. Um, and it's one-on-one -on -one and it's a VIP. But I'd really like to grow into teaching people how to go live. Um, I would also like to find, <laughs> right now I'm doing a lot of, of, of content uh, as a way to uh, just promote you know, value in the program. Um, and I need to find a way to automate uh, quite a bit of that. It is anybody who's put a course together or who's interested in putting a course together. It's a lot of work. And uh, I've had my blinders on for a couple of, couple of weeks now, a couple of months, really trying to get it together. And I'd like to grow that portion. And I'd like to, again, I'd like to help people understand how how video works for them. I'd also like to be rich and only work three days a week. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Carrie. Tell people how they how how can they get in touch with you? How, I know you're in LinkedIn. Tell them all the good ways to get in touch with you. Oh, thank you so much. Probably the best way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. It's Carrie Barrett. You'll see um, 
there's a couple of Carrie Barrett's out there. I've got a video up in my avatar. I've called the uh, VIQ Queen video intelligence quotient. I'm going to teach you how to up-level it and put it on steroids. So if you see Carrie Barrett VIQ, that's me. You can connect with me there. You can also connect with me on any other platform, YouTube, I am Carrie Barrett, Twitter, I am Carrie Barrett, Facebook, I am Carrie Barrett, Instagram, and you can always reach out to me. Um, head on over to my website. You'll find all of the social icons there and links to my podcast and the blog, and you can email me as well. So people definitely check her out, especially if you want to get into the being on camera and, and just looking good and saying something good. Also, people, uh, you can get in contact with me at thecooptank at yahoo.com. I'm still working on my website as this is new. This is my second episode. Or you can find the first episode at thecooptank.podbean.com or you can find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, iHeart. Not iTunes yet. I'll get it on iTunes. I'm not a big fan of the iTunes. Also, you can listen to my other podcast, coopertalk.net, where I have over 900 episodes. I recently interviewed Tommy Chong, Simon Kirk from Bad Company, uh, Dave Thomas from Second City TV. That's more entertainment. And uh, I want to thank Linda Milano from CFB Promotional Products because she made me this cool Coop Tank t-shirt. And she made me a few of them. So thank you, Linda. And uh, please check out Towncast Studios. Matthew and Joe will hook you up. Go to towncaststudios.com. So anyway, you all have a wonderful day. Check out Kerry. Check out the Coop Tank. And I love you all and have a great weekend.